Hey, are you a grateful person? What a great thing to be known for if you are. Last week, we dealt with the issue of kvetching or complaining, and we saw how so often we focus on ourselves rather than on the Lord. We saw how God's word commands us not to complain, but so often we complain about our lives and we complain about other people and we complain about circumstances. Today, we come to another command in God's word, one that is there quite frequently, and that is to give thanks. Last week, I mentioned in a very cryptic um, nature an event in our family that seemed to be worthy of complaining, but I didn't tell you what it was. Um, Let me fill you in a little bit if you have wondered about that. Joseph, um, my eldest, called me late on Saturday night to say, Dad, um, Sarah Jane is getting married in three weeks, and I was well aware of that. He said, I just read that the venue... um, in which we are having her um, reception has been closed down. And we didn't know it yet. And Sarah Jane was out of town and she didn't know it. So um, we were quite concerned. We were quite um, given to wanting to complain. And yet I was really proud of Sarah Jane for her response. And I was proud of the family too, because it seemed like everybody went into action and um, was trying to find the solution. And we were um, absolutely dependent upon the Lord and his intervention. And let me just say that God has answered above and beyond what we thought or imagined. An amazing venue, um, actually cheaper, which I am thrilled about. (laughs) And um, it's going to be fun and special for Sarah Jane. It's a venue that has 90 weddings a year, and it was open in two weeks. Um, Amazing. (laughs) Amen. Um, We touched last week on changing our perspective from ourselves to Jesus, the rabbi, and how we are actively to live out our lives. Left to ourselves, many of us would never slow down and give thanks. But we must do that. We must change our perspective. Let me tell you a story about a modern-day cowboy. It was out west. He was driving his truck. He had his dog in the back of the pickup truck. He had his horse um, being drawn um, behind the truck. And he had a dirt road that he was going down. He did not negotiate a turn, a curve very well. And he had a terrible wreck. A little bit later, a highway trooper um, came upon them, and he was an animal lover, and he started looking around, and he found this horse, and um, because of his knowledge of horses, he knew that the horse was not going to make it, so he takes out his revolver, and he shoots the horse, putting the horse out of its misery. He finds the dog, and the dog was in the similar condition, and so he puts the dog out of its misery also. And then he located the cowboy. And the cowboy had multiple fractures. And he says, hey, are you okay? And the cowboy had heard two shots. He looked up and he saw the smoking gun. And he said, never felt better. (laughs) He had an immediate change of perspective. Because he thought that any other answer might not um, turn out so well. 
His perspective changed, and our perspective needs to change also so often. May God grant us a change of perspective. We tend to talk to ourselves and sometimes tell ourselves, um, nobody has it as hard as I do. Life is just terrible right now. And when we hear that, we need to realize that we live in a broken world. And there are a lot of hurting people around. And we need to get our attention off of ourselves onto the Lord. Today, we're going to see one man who was a virtual dead man walking. And he encountered Jesus. And he was transformed and he was grateful. He saw himself accurately and he saw Jesus in all his glory. And that's what it takes to change our perspective this morning. Martin Luther said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. And may God's word, which is active and sharper than a two-edged sword, do that and accomplish that in our lives today. We're going to look at an incredible event, which happens right at the end of the life of Jesus before he goes to Jerusalem. It's found in Luke 17. Hear the word of God, beginning with verse 11. While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they were going... They were cleansed. Now, one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. What do you and I need to learn right now with what's going on in our lives? Or maybe our families or our church or our world. We have much to learn. Let us pray. Father, as we come this morning, um, this is a passage that many of us have heard many times, and yet it contains a message we need to hear once again. We ask that you would come by your spirit and that you would quicken our minds and our hearts to be lovers of God rather than lovers of ourselves. We ask that you would give us ears to hear and hearts that are sensitive to you. Father, may we be a grateful people for your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We know from verse 11 that Jesus is traveling with his disciples to Jerusalem. This is right before he's going to die. They're going along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and they are encountered by 10 lepers. Let me ask you some questions about this this morning. First, what do we know about leprosy and the 10 lepers? We know that it was a dreaded disease with no cure at the time. It literally would eat away the flesh, whether it be your fingers or your nose or your eyebrows, eyelids, ears. It could spread to all parts of the body. 
and it would especially affect the nerves. So you can imagine the pain which people lived with. It was contagious to others who came into close contact with a leper. Today, it's a curable disease, but it is still present. And it still has a stigma attached to it. India actually has 700 active leper colonies. And something you did not come to church expecting to learn is you can actually contract leprosy from an infected armadillo. Yeah. Now, you didn't come expecting that, did you? Um, We know that a leper had a stigma attached to him. We know that in ancient times, he was regarded as already dead. They were the walking dead. And I'm not referring in any way to some post-apocalyptic horror TV show. If you watch that, you need to come talk to me. That, that, that would scare me to death. Um, we know from our passage something else, that there were 10 lepers. We know the lepers were cast out of cities and had to remain outside the walls. They were social outcast. They could not even enter into the temple, the place of worship. The Old Testament had laws in Leviticus and Numbers which kept the lepers um, isolated to prevent the spread of the disease. In fact, the law prescribed that if they came even near a village, that they had to cry out, unclean, unclean, so that no one would inadvertently come into contact with the dreaded disease. We know in verse 12 that there were 10 leprous men who stood at a distance and they met Jesus. In fact, by law, they had to stand about 150 feet away from any healthy person. We know from verse 13 um, that they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So we know that their voices had not yet been taken by this dreaded disease and they were able to shout out. We know that the 10 lepers were of mixed nationality with at least one being a Samaritan and the other 10 probably being Jewish. We know that the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. And we see that it takes this dreaded disease to break down the barrier of prejudice between them. We know that they had some knowledge of who Jesus was and that he had healed others. And perhaps they thought he would heal them also. We know that they all appealed to Jesus as master or rabbi as they cry out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So our next question is, how does Jesus respond to the leper's plea? He says to them all in verse 14, go and show yourself to the priest. Why in the world would he tell them to go and show themselves to the priest? Why doesn't he just tell them to be cleansed? In fact, if we go back to Luke 5, that's exactly what he did with one leper. It says this, the leper fell on his face before Jesus and implored him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I am willing, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus told that leper, 
to go and show yourself to the priest. But now in Luke 17, Jesus does not touch the lepers, um, nor does he tell them to be cleansed. He simply says, go and show yourselves to the priest. There are a number of things to see here. First, Jesus does not always act in the same way. God can choose any number of ways to work and to accomplish his good pleasure. God is not going to be put inside anyone's box as far as how and when and what he does. Um, What are you presently asking of God and how do you think God is going to respond? He might respond very differently or he may respond at a different timing. Next, we see that Jesus is always going to act in accord with his revealed will and the law. And he is prescribed for one thing to be followed. And we see the consistency between the two passages in that he sends both to the priest. That was the normal procedure that they had to follow if a leper were cured or another disease were cured. He would go, the person would go and show himself or herself to the priest who would act as a kind of health inspector to certify and declare that the individual was indeed healed and could enter back into society. When Jesus tells them, go and show yourself to the priest, it's interesting to ask this question as well. How do the lepers respond? Consider what's going on here. They ask Jesus for something. They probably know that he has healed other lepers and other diseases um, just by the power of his spoken word. And he tells them, go and show yourself to the priest. You wonder if they stood there and looked at each other a little bit and um, said, go and show yourselves to the priest. He hasn't healed us yet. It's interesting. Whatever went on in their minds and in their discussion, they obeyed. They headed off to Jerusalem to see the priest. And then it happened. In their obedience, in their going, they were healed. Verse 14 says, as they went, they were cleansed. What about us? How do we handle things when we know that God has told us to do something? So often we want to bargain with God um, and say, if you will do this or if you will do that, um, I will do whatever you say, God. We put conditions on it, um, even when we know what he already wants. In a movie years ago, I saw... Burt Reynolds. He was caught in an ocean um, undertow and he was being swept out to sea and he was getting far from shore. And he says, God save me and I'll give you everything I have. Well, he had renewed strength and he got about halfway to shore and he says, God save me and I'll give you half of everything I have. And then the next scene, he's climbing up onto the beach and he sort of goes, whew, I made it. And he goes his way. So often we think we have to feel something before we can do it. 
we think, I can't love that person because I don't feel like it. Or I can't forgive that one because I don't feel like it. I can't give that money because I don't feel like it. Or God has to come through for me and do what I think he should and then I will act. Or we say, God, you know, if you will heal my child or if you'll raise my income, then I will do my part. You know what? God so often blesses in the doing and not before. We are waiting for God to act when he has told us to do something, to be his people, to love others, to give thanks. The ball really is in our court to respond by his grace to his commands. And we so often try to throw the ball back and make up new rules. If we know what God requires of us, we must obey and stop playing games. And then we have the question, once cleansed, how did the lepers respond? Verse 15 says it this way, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. One man out of the 10, upon being healed, turned around to return to Jesus. He was praising God with a voice that had been restored and raised back up. And my guess is that it was nothing like the sick voice that came out just minutes before. The man came in humility, falling on his face before Jesus. And he expressed his gratitude. He was grateful, but he expressed it. There are a number of things to see here. The one was not only grateful for the healing, I'm sure all of them were, but one was grateful to the healer. This one, imagine it, just minutes before had been standing 150 feet away from Jesus, talking at a distance to him. And now he comes and he falls at the feet of Jesus in praise. A walking dead man who is transformed and shows his gratitude, praising Jesus. What does the falling at the feet of Jesus signify? Certainly humility and certainly dependence and trust and faith. For this man, it was an understanding of who he was as the walking dead and who Jesus is. Sometimes falling at the feet of Jesus might have meant grief or sorrow or repentance. The leper in Luke 5, we're told, fell on his face and he was pleading with Jesus. And the leper in our passage today prostrated himself, grateful and praising Have you ever fallen at the feet of Jesus? I know some of you have. I know some of you have been in conditions where you were on your face pleading with God. Some of you, perhaps out of gratefulness, have been on your face before the Lord. Whatever the reason we get on our face before the Lord, may it lead to a grateful heart for us. And then the amazing statement is added and it's placed for emphasis. And he 
was a Samaritan. The Jews and the Samaritans were enemies. They hated each other. The Jews despised the Samaritans because they were a mixed race. And the Jews thought that their theology was really bad. And yet this dreaded disease had brought this group together. They were a band, probably helping each other out. And there's a depth of common suffering that they experienced, which can bring a bond to otherwise very different people. Some of you have experienced that unity, perhaps in a cancer ward or perhaps in some other group like AA. I experienced it on the heart operation floor, even though I was the youngest person there by about 20 years. Um, And there was a unity that was there because of the common experience you had. This Samaritan was part of a group, but he alone returned to give thanks, to express his attitude or gratitude. And so we have to ask, how does Jesus respond to the gratitude of the one leper? Jesus responds, interestingly, with three questions to make a point. Verse 17, and Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed, but the nine, where are they? Was no one found who turned back to give glory to God except this foreigner? Jesus is grieved that nine out of ten did not return to give glory to God. Our own beloved Dr. Kistemacher in his commentary on Luke pointed out that the Jewish nation had been blessed far above any other nation. And yet this group of nine Jewish lepers allow a Samaritan to surpass them in praising God and expressing gratitude. Those who knew of God's care and had been taught about it were not the ones who were praising God. And I think for us, there certainly is the danger sometimes of our knowing so much about God's grace, but never taking the time to express our gratitude. And then Jesus responds with two personal, encouraging statements to the Samaritan. Verse 19, and he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Jesus says, rise and go your way. Uh, Most likely meaning now, rise up, go to the priest so that he can declare you healed and allow you back into normal society once again. But Jesus also says, your faith has made you well, pointing out the fact that this man was healed not only from the disease of leprosy, but also from the death of his sin by his faith through grace. There was transformation of body, heart, and attitude in the one leper. And there should be transformation for us also, and gratitude from us. Well, how do you develop this attitude of gratitude? Let me just mention uh, a few thoughts and insights and applications here. First, do you know that you, in your sin, that you were a walking dead person? Do you and I understand that our heart condition absent 
the work of Christ is worse than leprosy. I was a walking dead man, and years ago, God reached down, and he touched me, and he healed me, and he gave me a new life. Many of you have experienced that also. Now in Christ, we are no longer the walking dead. We are the walking, living, transformed, and hopefully grateful, destined to be heirs of the grace of God, living in heaven forever, at which time our full-time role will be giving praise and adoration and gratitude to the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. How cool is that going to be? Next, there was no known cure for leprosy, likewise for our sinful heart condition that separates us from God. There's no cure except through trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross for us. You cannot be good enough to cure yourself of your sin any more than the leopard could heal himself um, of his disease. We must appeal to Jesus as the master to have mercy on us. Next, just as a priest would act as the health inspector to certify one's healing and being clean. So it is with our high priest, Jesus, who is not only our health inspector, but he's also our health provider. Like the lepers, we are walking dead, dead in our trespasses and sin. And we must go to the priest, our high priest, Jesus, who's taken our place on the cross. He's paid our penalty. He's purchased our cleansing. And now he's declared us righteous and clean. This morning, a question for some of you may be, have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ yourself? If not, is this the day that you need to do that? Next, the majority of the cleansed lepers were more interested apparently in the healing than they were in the healer. Likewise, we can be more interested in the blessing than we are in the blessor himself. Our gratitude is to be humbly given to the one who gives the healing, the blessing, the benefit. It might have been expected that the Samaritan would have been the last of the 10 cleansed lepers to give thanks to Jesus, the Jewish healer. But Luke tells us that he was the first and the only one who did so. And I think that we might just see here a little glimpse of the truth that if we do not give thanks quickly in our lives, we usually do not do so at all. The main point of the story is we're to be grateful for the gift of healing and the new life in Christ that we have been given. We were walking dead men and women and God touched our lives and hearts. And he says to us, your faith has made you well. We were among the 10 lepers. The question we must ponder is whether we will be with the 10% or the 90%. Also, we must be obedient, even as all the lepers were obedient. 
It was in their obedience that they were cleansed. And in our obedience, God will bless us in powerful ways. Also, we saw that the one main thing that united the Jews, Jews and the Samaritan was the same terminal illness. The other thing that has the potential to unite those of different cultures and races is the gospel of grace, the love of Christ, just as in a leper colony, the social and ethnic divisions fall away. And so it is in the kingdom of God, the church. We are to see each other not as rich or poor, not by nationality or skin tone, not as young or old, um, not as male nor female, not as from the north or from the south, not as Democrat or Republican, not as educated or uneducated, but rather we are to see each other as forgiven, saved by grace. Do you know and have a sense of family with brothers and sisters who are different from you? whether it be language or nationality or culture or politics. This is one of the most beautiful things that I've learned from our mission partnerships around the world, our unity in the family of God. Orangewood has two teams out right now, one in Honduras and one ministering in the Bahamas. And I know that one thing that they will come back with is a better understanding of the unity of the body of Christ worldwide. In conclusion, how long has it been since you really took the time to stop and just to ponder God's love and to express gratitude to him for his work of grace in giving you new life in Christ? And how long has it been since you've shown gratitude for all the other things that he has provided for you. Sometimes I think as we get older, it all becomes too routine, too mundane, and we lose wonder in his love. We don't stop to ponder that love, nor do we express gratitude for his healing of our hearts. C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia's book, Prince Caspian, has Aslan, the Christ figure, walking alongside Lucy in the valley. And he says to her, every year you are older, you will see that I am bigger. Every year that you are older, you will see that I am bigger. As we grow older and more mature in Christ, we should be seeing more and more the greatness and the power and the bigness of Christ and love him more. Is God growing bigger for you or is he fading? Are you a grateful person? The Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians 2, to walk in Christ overflowing with gratitude. I challenge you to find one thing a day for which to be thankful. Start early every day and ask, what should I be thankful for today? And then throughout the day, give thanks for that one thing and certainly add to it. But make sure one thing at least. We have so much for which to be grateful. Our perspective must change. Um, This week, I found a poem 
Um, I'm not much on poems or reading them. Um, some of you have heard me tell the story in college English freshman year. The professor said, Mr. Creech, would you read this poem, please? And I said, Dr. Gordon, I'm not real good at reading poems. And he said, Mr. Creech, please read the poem. So I read the poem. I finished, and he said, Mr. Creech, next time I will take your advice. <laughs> so, um, but I'm going to read you a poem, okay? This is a poem that happened at a very stressful time in our life. Rita had just found out she had cancer. This was over 20 years ago. Um, we gathered our kids together and um, told them about it. Um, it was a young family. Our oldest was in high school, and the twins, I think, were about nine. Sarah Jane was in the middle there. And um, Joseph disappeared, and he comes back later, and he hands his mother a poem. Now, Joseph, none of us knew, was a poet either, but um, here we go. And this is what he said to her that changed our perspective. He said, when you're feeling down, nothing's going right. Keep your feet on the ground and keep God in sight. When you're feeling depressed, losing strength and might, think your life's in a mess, just keep God in sight. Then things will start to look up. You begin to take flight. You have inner peace because you kept God inside. Then one day you reach the gate. You will have no more fright because you kept your priorities straight and kept God inside. God can use so many things to change our perspective and to make us a grateful people. Ponder God's great grace and love for you. Change the lens through which you view life. View life through the lens of gratitude. Your life will be changed. Your family will be changed. Our church will be changed. The question of Jesus echoes down to us even today. But the nine, where are they? As we go from here today, we cannot change the story of Luke 17 and the response of the nine. However, if the story hits home for us, we can change our stories by God's grace. We can change our perspective. We can choose to respond with the one. We can be a grateful people. May we choose to be a grateful people. It's your choice. Let's write the next chapter of our lives as individuals and as families and as a church in such a way that we are known as a grateful people. Jesus changes everything. Let us pray together. Our Father, we come today thankful for Jesus and the fact that he indeed does change everything. And so, Father, we would ask that you would come powerfully, that you would apply your word to our hearts and to our lives. Father, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for your strength. We thank you for the joy you give us in Christ. We thank you for your daily provisions in abundance, meeting every need that we have. We thank you for friends in Christ and for a church that loves you. Father, we ask that you would make us a grateful people even today. Father, we come now to partake of a meal, a meal that 
allows us in a very special way to partake of and to express our gratitude. Father, nothing helps us do that more than thinking of this meal which you gave to us. And so we come asking that you would use it, that you would feed us from it. We come in your powerful name.